When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Michael Scott from Fabian Liberty. He is a libertarian, and in this conversation we talk about libertarianism. It is kind of a geeky subject, at least to me. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around, and Michael comes in here and he really clarifies a lot of the aspects of libertarian ideology and political theory and practice for me in this scintillating discussion. So definitely do follow him on Twitch and on YouTube and on Twitter, all of which will be linked in the description. Without further ado, here is Michael Scott from Fabian Liberty. But anyways. Nice to meet you. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm like a like fangirling here Ooh. or anything, but I am a bit of a fan. I, I, I'm really um, glad you haven't castrated yourself in my name. That is like, I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, well, you can fanboy you know, all you uh, want, but don't fangirl. Don't, don't go the whole, like, don't, don't go that well, path. Isn't, hold on. Pause. Pause. I'm not, I'm not getting into the trans like thing just yet. Right. I'm just saying like, uh, when I say, isn't that usually the uh, phrase like fangirling? Uh, like, uh, isn't fanboying? Like, isn't it like gender neutral there? I don't know. I hear fangirling all the time. Oh, really? Maybe, maybe that's it's like, always been gender specific in my neck of the woods, but you know, I have a very particularly <laughs> right, gendered neck of the woods. Don't worry. I'm not going to be getting any cat ear fucking headphones or anything. Oh, you're going to do a little soon. bit like, of. We're good. Like, yeah, no, no, no. We're good. Dancing around the Benjamin Totem pole. Anyways, anyways, you're trying to compliment me, and I tried to hit you, head you off of the pass. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know. It is what, regardless, I was saying, you know, I've been a bit of a fan, you know, like I watched, I think I followed some of the evergreen stuff. And then, and then I kind of like, I think I watched a couple of your videos, um, you know, pertaining to Christian theology, like back in the day, um, when I was, you know, cause I mean, you've been doing this content creation for quite, quite a while. Six years almost. And then, uh, yeah. And so I, and then I kind of, you know, I kind of fell off and then someone was like, you know, we we're talking about James Lindsay or they were like, oh, you have to watch this one with, with Benjamin Boyce and vocal distance. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so good. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to be here mostly. And I was kind of telling other people this, but, but mostly because, you know, when you're in this business, there's this weird triangle between entertainment, culture, war, and philosophy where you kind of never get to do all of one and you have to balance them all. And it's like, every time I'm on a larger platform, it's almost always, debating communists on a debate platform or it's like culture war kind of panel stuff. And I'm very excited to be somewhere where I can be a little bit more heady with other people as opposed to just like my little yeah. my little space of the internet on Twitch or well actually tonight we're on Rumble. But yeah. Okay. Twitch. How long you been doing Twitch? Uh almost two years, but honestly the censorship has gotten to the point where it's it's not um it's not really feasible. How did you start with Twitch, like Sword Art Online, or? No, no, no I didn't actually never played video games. It was old Twitch politics scene. Okay. Right, like Destiny started that, right? And then 
Vosh came out of that. Hassan came out of that. Yeah. And then a whole bunch of people you probably don't know that are micro celebrities within the Twitch politics space. But yeah. um, it's it's moderation and its audience is extremely left wing. And I was like, well, there's no libertarians here. There's barely any right wingers here. I can, you know, I can I can break through, you know, kind of break through Hadrian's wall here. And um, and it, it didn't it didn't work. <laughs> no. No, no. I mean, I, I mean, I, I made relative success there in like the top one percent. But yeah, you know, the real difference is the top one percent and the top point one percent, right? And yeah, and the censorship has gotten to a point where it's just, it's difficult to speak freely. Are you um, are you able to map what is being censored? Like what domains? Like without touching on the topics, just the general domains or the pattern of it? Like how they select what? So, is- so like. It's kind of like the old days of of YouTube where, you know how like everyone knew conservatives were being censored, but nobody could prove it. And so you could look at like tangential metrics. Right. So it'd be like I would average live somewhere between like 30 to 45 viewers. Right. And then I would see someone else averaging 10 viewers live doing the exact same content as me on debating on the same panel as me. And then I would see that their VOD would have like double or triple my views okay and it's because the algorithm is constantly pushing them to get seen right and then my algorithm is like i would get like one new viewer despite being close to partner level in views you know and it's like it's a bunch of little things like that it's not me complaining about twitch censorship isn't that I can't back up with hard evidence yeah. isn't really what I was well, talking yeah, about. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if you understand what is being promoted, like what content or what, what, um, what general... So here's my best guess. Yeah. My best guess, God's honest truth, is that a major function of the Twitch algorithm is looking at a ratio between viewers to subscribers. So viewers to how much money you're pulling. And it aggressively pushes content with low viewers with a high ratio of funds so that they'll get new people and new people will send. And I think that's why you constantly see slatterns, whores, if you will, you know, e-girls and things like that constantly push because I, I don't think that they're actually support hot tub girls so much as that's what makes money. Yeah. And I think it, it gets pushed more in the algorithm because it makes more money. So, you know, there's this great, I, I admire this man so much. He's, uh, he's Dave Green or the distributist. He's a YouTuber. He's been uh, doing this yeah. thing for a long time. And he has pointed out that uh, the way that these really big left bread tube or these really big mm-hmm. left wing streamers are able to spout communism and make bank on it is because communism or at least their brand of communism appeals to people with disposable income, people who don't have families. Yeah. And so who would have that uh, people who don't want to have jobs but have money so they'd pay the communists to feel good about like themselves and their worldview because they, they're mostly anti-work rather than pro-communism which is communism in, in effect doesn't work unless everybody works their ass off um same with capitalism but capitalism Even said that you, you have to work to eat right yeah yeah and then and then e-girls too like like just basically mental and and uh, gonadal masturbation is what's going to pull in the most money from <laughs> disposable income people my co-host has a joke that he always says that is, um, you know, there's nothing more capitalist than a communist streamer, yeah. right? Because they're constantly begging for money, constantly trying to sell merchandise, yeah, yeah. as opposed to like focusing on the topic. It's yeah. kind of, but yeah, but that is part of it. Yeah, like I, I would say that right wingers and libertarians in the streaming space get less money um, 
because because their their audience is more individualistic, more responsible with their f- discretionary spending, yeah. um, and and their audience kind of expects to to buy something, and so there's a, a challenge in content creation from the right wing libertarian space, which is how do I how do I gatekeep some level of content from you in such a capacity yeah. that you feel obligated to pay me, but also I'm not destroying my brand or my loyalty or looking like I'm selling out or anything like that. And then I'm, and I'm pushing the message, but also I got to eat. And then, and then at a certain point you break, break a threshold where like it doesn't even matter. And the ad revenue is enough anyways. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How do you, how do you sell libertarianism? How does one, how does one peddle libertarianism in this marketplace of ideas? Uh, Well, I, um, I, I would say, and that's that triangle I'm talking about, right? And that is, is that uh, I, I would say that I don't sell libertarianism so much as I am selling, you know, via ad revenue and donation model and things like that and occasional bit of merchandise and things like that. Um, you know, I'm selling theory and information and entertainment, right? Um, hopefully kind of combining the two um, and hoping that you'll you'll watch me, you know, I, I'm a terrible salesman. I'm good at a lot of things, hmm. but I'm, I'm not very good at it. It's it's actually my one of my stream one of my friends you know that I've met on this space. He's like, you have to stop being humble when you ask for money, and you have to start telling people that you're selling war bonds for the fight for free speech and liberty. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, I need to sell war bonds, right? Yeah, right on uh, culture like war bonds. <laughs> yeah, good. yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's what I'm doing. All right, I'll take his advice. I'm selling war bonds. For the fight of uh, liberty and then the culture war and stuff like that, yeah. So just to reiterate your triangle, it's it's entertainment, philosophy, and information, theory and information. Is that the third leg, information? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, get, I mean, it's kind of just a... Heuristic. It, it's not like a well-thought-out theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. kind of a little bit of a heuristic. But it's like, I recognize that if I want to talk about argumentation ethics, or I want to talk about estoppel principle, you know, with analogies of like A does this b does that yeah. i'm gonna lose some people right yeah and yeah. so like i i need to have some 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 fart jokes in there and i need to meme on joe biden and then there's also the culture war thing that i think ties these two things together and so i you know talking about trans issues detrans I mean, we've done a lot of the same All stuff right. i think we've interviewed a lot of the same people so um, so entertainment philosophy we, and topicality or you know, like, yeah sure yeah okay interesting and how did you get your stop and start in this? I have to say this out loud because I, I have to bust your balls about this. You guys call yourselves the argumentation ethics affirming and cap. Well, no, nobody, nobody actually says that. But, but people keep like, on telling me to talk about argumentation ethics affirming and cap. So what is that? <laughs> I, so I, at, least the, at least the gay so, people have an uh, an uh, acronym. I know it's not an acronym. It's like a name okay, so or something like that. But my greatest strength as an as an anarcho capitalist or libertarian, I would say the two are actually interchangeable. Okay. Um, um, my greatest strength is that I'm one of the few people in my community that's not autistic, right? Hmm. But hmm. <laughs> right, which autism can be a weaponized autism, as Dave Smith says, can be a, a powerful force. Right. Yeah, um, for finding but, flags but, in the desert if uh, Sheila Booth pisses you off or whatever. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But also there, there is there is there is a difficulty in communicating, you know, complex, heady, you know, ideas that most people get to via Austrian economic theory. Yes. Right? Like, OK. I yeah. think that's how most libertarian, you know, 
And so, like, yeah, I wouldn't call myself an argumentation affirming, AE affirming ANCAP, right? I would just call myself an ANCAP, and I believe in argumentation ethics, as proposed by um, Hans Hermann Hopp. Okay, so what is argumentation ethics? Is that a, so that's a methodology never, of discourse? Never I have not, not in this form. So argumentation ethics is a pretty controversial thing, right? Um, basically, um, libertarianism, as set out by, you know, Murray Rothbard and in that vein, and I'm not talking about the Jacques libertarian socialists, right? The American kind of rebirth of libertarianism um, and anarcho-individuals um, set out the non-aggression principle, right? Okay. Except the non-aggression principle is kind of an axiom, right? It's an axiom that if, if you follow this, these other things follow. But as we know, you know, in philosophy, there are axioms, but if they're not grounded well, right, they're, they're very easily subverted, right? Um, you know, like any, I think we see this happening in the culture where we see this with our current government. We see this with Christianity, right? In some of the non-denominational churches that have become Aspen Institute, social, emotional learning, gender, queer churches, right? If your axioms aren't strong and grounded, there's a weakness there. And Hans Hermann Hoppe, I would say, others say would say came up with, I would say discovered, because I believe it to be objectively true, um, discovered the philosophical grounding of the non-aggression principle. And if you go through this um, step by step and you you go through the logic and you accept the logic, it it basically proves that it is morally unjustifiable to say that a state uh, should exist or that... Um, that one ought use aggression or violence against others or that one ought pay or take taxes, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, which makes it pretty controversial, right? Because the claim is a huge claim. I think Christopher Hitchens famously said, you know, um, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence when debating Christians, right? Um, it, it's, it's an extraordinary claim because if one accepts the logic of AE, then one must denounce statism or the, the the support of nation states okay so just just to figure out why it's called argumentation ethics mm -hmm. what where's the argumentation so, what's the ethic or is it the logical formula to get to this or to extrapolate this principle of non-aggression so argumentation as defined by hans Hermann hoppe is one of two means of resolving conflict right so when when you have a conflict between two people there are two separate things that you can do. You can resolve the conflict via argumentation or you can solve the conflict via violence. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, right. So argumentation is where you make morally moral propositional statements, right? Mm -hmm. it, it cannot, you can't make a moral propositional statement like to a person while beating them to death. Right. I mean, you can, right. But you're not, but we'd have to go through the full logic of AE, but yeah, but like you're not you're not actually arguing at that point. You're just engaged in violence. You're not recognizing someone. You're not trying to do um, what I should say is um, it's not. Um, oh, God, what is the term? It's not intersubjective justification. Right. You're not justifying it to an observer. You're not creating a justification for your beliefs if you're using violence. Right. The observer and the other person are not accepting your belief or your argument because it is true or because they believe it to be true. They're accepting it because you're forcing them to accept it via violence. Okay. And so there, it's not a justifiable thing. Yeah. So the argumentation is that portion. He, he, and then through yeah. that process, he believes that arguing for violence, and I believe it is objectively true, um, that by arguing for violence, you're engaged in a performative contradiction 
and therefore it is it is nonsense what you're saying it's illogical nonsense it might be illogical nonsense but it's reality um that that aside i've been uh researching uh, marriage counseling i'm just i'm interested in couples therapy because i've been dealing with gender so much that ultimately i want to harmonize or understand the harmony of the sexes and um in a marriage, I guess you do have basically two forms of exerting a will. You have violence and you have discourse. You, know, you, you talk your issues through or, or somebody uh, you know, forces the rule of law on the household. Now, within discourse, within argumentation, there are still forms of violence, belittling, uh, contemptuousness, uh, criticism. Um, uh, you know, there's a variety of different forms of emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. or persuasion, gaslighting, manipulation that take place within argumentation. So argumentation itself is not exempt from violence or, or uh, you know, enforcing your will on another person. Um, it, it might be a little bit more it's complex, but it's still there. So argumentation in and of itself is not free from power, power struggles. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, I also think it's really interesting that you that you bring up fighting within marriages because like, one of the most foundational studies within marriage counseling was the, you know, I can't remember the exact title, but it was it was fighting versus arguing. Yeah. And actually, the distinction between fighting and arguing is made as one of the landmark cases and um, within psychology and, and, and marriage and family uh, therapy is the idea that couples that argue right that that are genuinely interested in the other person and genuinely attempting to ascertain truth and not coerce the other person yeah. have successful marriages yeah. and those that use coercive elements and those that, you know, might engage in some form of abuse and things like that, they butt heads and they don't actually reach truth. And so I would say that what you're bringing up actually affirms my position okay. that when the coercive element is there, the search for truth is missing and it's not a genuine form of argument. Okay. So the problem with an open society is that, mm -hmm. It's not necessarily a marriage. I guess a marriage is more or less contractually people voluntarily, more or less voluntarily enter into this agreement and then proceed to live their lives together as a society. At some point, people have to enforce goodwill or good argument, right? That's why the law is there that ideally where you go and you, you perform a rational argument in front of a judge that then, then decides between these two parties and then enforces mm -hmm. good, good, good faith argument, right? So how do you, how do you institute good faith argument without the threat of divorce or violence in a, in a society? So, so I think, so I think there, it, the threat of force or violence here is, is, is interesting because there's a, a common misunderstanding about libertarianism yeah. is that it like, that it preaches like some form of pacifism okay. or something. Yeah. And that's in no way, shape or form what it is. Right. And this is where an, a separate thing. So now we're getting away from AE, which is a lot more complex and there's a lot more process to it, but that's fine. Okay. And we're getting into kind of Kinsella's estoppel, right? So if I go up to you, right? Estoppel is a legal principle in common law. The estoppel principle basically, and this isn't libertarianism, this is just in general, right? If I'm convicted, let's say um, two years ago of drinking and driving, I am a stop when I get a second DUI from going to court and saying, I've never drank and drive my entire life, right? Because the court says, well, actually, we have we have documentation proving that you were convicted of drinking and driving previously. You're stopped from saying that. Like, that's not that's not a claim you can make. I can immediately say that is a false claim. Okay. Right. So the same thing is true um, with aggression. Right. So if I go up to if I break into your home. Right. And kind of John Locke had that, you know, that famous example 
in um, in his second treatise on government, right, where he says, you know, a thief breaks into your home and he's put himself in a state of war, right? Like you, it's not your responsibility to determine whether or not he's armed or whether or not he's dangerous. He broke into your height, into your home out of regular hours through a back window with a mask. Like he's in a state of war. Fuck him, right? His, his life is forfeit, right? Well, libertarianism says the same thing, right? Is that when when you aggress upon me, you're actually incapable of 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 arguing for your own rights in the same way as someone that is a non-criminal from a natural law perspective is until you pay restitution and repayment. Right. So if I you can't logically if, if the entire basis of the non-aggression principle is founded upon this argumentation that one ought not violate my bodily autonomy, but my own actions violate other people's bodily autonomy. I'm 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 a stopped from being able to argue those rights until I denounce those actions and I pay restitution and repayment towards those people um, as, so far as they see fit or some other voluntary system of governance that you set up like a covenant council or, or an insurance agency or some court system that the community agreed um, to use as an arbiter in these matters. Okay, okay. So that concept of bodily autonomy can be hacked. I, I just feel like there's a lot of hacks to this. Let's say um, emissions, mm-hmm. right? Some sort of emissions, uh, some some company, or I, I, I like to use charcoal to cook my beef in the evening. Mm-hmm. Really smoky flavor, delicious. I, it takes six hours to do. A lot of greenhouse gases. Is the, I'm, Am I not like my bodily autonomy which needs meat, I'm totally convinced that I need meat and good meat at that to continue to have bodily autonomy. If that exercise, exercising that is infringing on the bodily autonomy of my neighbor who thinks that all that smoke is carcinogenic, like I, I can see like you could always like hack the bodily autonomy to take away freedom from people and give it to other in, in the name of safety, in the name of bodily autonomy. Right. Have you have you seen that? So, I mean, like shored up. I just want to know the grounding for that. Right. So, I mean, there's there's kind of three situations, three different lenses. You could look at this from a libertarian. Right. Like you could look at it as you're looking at it, which is like a pure theory perspective. Right. And the pure theory perspective is, is if any any of your actions directly, not indirectly, not second or third order consequences, but first order consequences. Right pollute or damage someone else's property, right? Then they can brand you as someone who has damaged their property and demand some form of restitution equal to the payment or some resolution in this matter, which is, you know, I don't know, they demand that you put a a hooded vent over your thing so that disperses or, you you know, like whatever that may be, however that that comes together, right? So that's the the theoretical. And, And you're right. It sounds ridiculous when you put it up that way because we have this legal system that we've built to deal with kind of like all of these gray areas yeah. and placed arbit, we've we placed arbitrary lines um, that have necessitated some form of order, right? Like because we need order, so we place arbitrary line, right? So then we look at it from the practical perspective, and the practical perspective is if this is a constant issue, then you have then you have contracts based off of the places that you live. When you move into a neighborhood. You know, when, when you take away the nation state, you take away all the county and zoning laws. Right. What do you replace that? With, yeah. Right. And so you might replace that with a covenant community. You might replace that with like a council of elders. You might replace it with a small local government that looks very similar to what we have today. That is democratic, et cetera. So long as it is voluntary and the individuals that purchase property in your community agree to those stipulations as part of the contract um, that they agree to. It's all voluntary, et cetera. 
but it also could just look like an HOA. I know people hate HOAs, right? But it's like, you know, the idea really boils down to, is it right to make a law banning pit bulls? And the answer is, is that there's no right answer, right? Pimples or pit bulls? Just a pit bulls. Okay, good. The, the dog. Yes. Right. So, like, is it wrong to ban pit bulls? And the answer is, there's good arguments on both sides as to why someone want, wouldn't want to or does want to live in a community with pit bulls. And the right answer is not a top-down authoritarian measure. The right answer is, you go to a neighborhood and you go to a dog park that meets your preferences. Right. You live in a neighborhood and you sign a contract that says. In this neighborhood, these are banned dogs, right? This dog park, these are banned breeds, right? And you go live in a fucking neighborhood where there are no pit bulls and you're happy. And someone else that is in love with pit bulls can go live in a neighborhood where that's allowed, right? Yeah. And that's kind of the distinction there. It's the voluntary element. Okay. There was a third one. So so you went theoretical argument or viewpoint, practical, and then... So this is like a level of abstraction above practical. And it's like, I would call it like practical practice. And what I would say in this instance is that just because there is objective truth in who is and isn't the criminal doesn't mean that human beings capacity to ascertain what that objective truth is, is perfect. Right. And so it may be technically true that you're abusing your neighbor by putting your charcoal grill next to them and like smoking out their porch. But like there's a line of delineation, right? where like this becomes less ridiculous, right? So let's say my grill is right next to their house yeah. and it's right next to their porch. Okay. And I can't even go on my back porch without getting smoked out. Yeah. And then there's my grill is all the way over there. And some Karen thinks they're being poisoned because like she can kind of smell burgers cooking. Right. And so the, the thing is, is that there is a line where it becomes aggressive and there is a, a, a likely amount of restitution or repayment, but like, what we do as a society is we attempt to find the truth and we do so in the most cost effective means possible. Right. And so the individual that's constantly taking people to court and has like an, an insurance for this likely gets high insurance because she's a fucking Karen and can't stop messing with people. Right. So like I call it the practical practical because we as humans were never just because there is an objective truth that I can argue for logically doesn't mean that we in the community will always find that. truth. OK. Right. Yeah. A murderer murdered someone. We do the best we can to find the murderer, but you never know. Sometimes you do. Uh, Well, not in the case of OJ. We still don't know. Jury's still out on that, right? Uh, Jury's not out, right? OJ's son was the one that killed that woman. All right. OJ took credit for it. That's why the DNA evidence matches OJ. Uh, That's why his son was in a mental institution and wrote letters that said, this is the year of the knife where I solve problems with my knife. That's why OJ got a lawyer for his son first before him. And that's why he went on that slow, slow car chase. That was a spectacle because his son was leaving the state with a vehicle that ended up in a storage. I had no idea we're going to get into OJ trutherism. I was just, I was just, my brain was just firing off. So thank you very much for that. (laughs) Okay. Excellent. Excellent. That's my opinion. I don't fucking know. Right. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Dropping bombs. We'll see if YouTube's going to take me off uh, YouTube for that, but Okay, we're jumping See, that's around. Why you get on Rumble. We're we're not doing a doctoral dissertation. This is totally conversive. We're just popcorn, just like shooting up. Yeah. One thing that I see as a problem stacked against libertarianism is convenience. Central authority, mm-hmm. centralization to a greater or lesser degree always gives us security or convenience in exchange for freedom. You know, right? 
So, mm -hmm. so with the example of all these different communities with all these different laws, that's so, it's so complex to, if you imagine America having like 500 different mm -hmm. communities with 500 different laws, you'd have to learn them all. And then you get there, you can't learn it. Yeah. And so 50, you, you, you don't even know when you get there that you can't even learn all the laws because it's just stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked. You have all these different common laws, more like, uh, I guess you would think of Europe in, in the case, but eventually liberalism or common law, there's these different systems that end up favoring centralization of power, clean up an environment. You, another example, France used to have all these different cultures, all these different little languages and stuff. After the French Revolution, rationalism comes in and enforces one language for the entire country. It creates a superpower at that time. Um, so there's convenience mm -hmm. of communication and then a lot of power to go out and get more resources. So libertarianism, it seems like to slip into more more and more individual, more and more complex, nuanced interactions between people, and the trade-off would be the loss of convenience, and then the loss of security, a loss of the surety, maybe, because there's mm -hmm. always constant so what negotiation. I would say, what I would say is, is it's not convenient if it's not a choice. I have no problem with these things occurring via choice, right? So, like, I have no problem okay. with, with a marketplace that, that where convenience is going to is going to be held within a free market as well, right? If people truly desire that convenience, well, then some company will come along, right, and say, we have this area, we'll call it, you know, FloridaMeccaCorpo.com. I don't give a fuck what you call it, right? P oh, pardon my French. Um, okay. I, I tend to curse a lot. It's the streamer in me. I apologize. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and clean. I'll try and church it up for you a little bit. Thank you. Right? Whatever, right? So this company um, is... Um, Hold on, I'm going to cut my music. You have music playing? So this company exists. Okay. Yeah. Well, like, is it, it like dubstep or something? Or like, like a little relaxing yeah, elevator? Yeah, but it's it's virtual. It's, sometimes it's a little both. A virtual audio cable. I have like four. Uh, I cut it off. It's fine. Cool, cool. So um, convenience is something. Is, so how do, how do I put this? I would start, let, let me back up. Human action, right? So one of the principal axioms of libertarian philosophy is the idea of praxeology and human action which is that humans are rational actors, even when we work with imperfect information, right? It is always true that we act, our, act out our subjective and moral preferences, right? Okay. Um, we sometimes do so with imperfect information. So like our, our goals and our actions don't necessarily align. And that's kind of like cognitive behavioral therapy, kind of 101, right? Is getting those two to be closer together, right? When we, when we do dumb things, it's usually because we're we're not we're not rationally seeing things, but nevertheless, we act out our subjective preferences. Yeah. And so if there is a marketplace of places to move and convenience really is so valuable to people in their in their voluntary choices because they want safety and security and they don't mind paying, let's say, 10 percent of their income and they don't mind paying for some 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 sense of security and peace. Right. Yeah. And those 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 polycentric communities will do better. In terms of your travel analogy, right? How does one travel through a polycentric community as we did in the past, let's say in Austria, when there was like 70 yeah. different little polycentric nations with like different cultures and things? Well, first I would say, number one, that's based. That's true multiculturalism where people can self-segregate and come up with different ideas and then try them out in the market yeah. as opposed to this forced kind of progressive idea where multiculturalism just means we eat different food, but really we all have to have the same ideas. 
But even still, I would say that what would likely happen is you've created a market void. You've described a market void, which is people are confused because they want to travel to new places, but they don't understand the rules and things like that. And so I'm a company, I'm an insurance company, like a rights enforcement agency. It's my job to, 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 to take care of your rights. And it's my job to represent you as a company, just like Geico does, right? During some infraction. Huh. And I negotiate with other companies um, and, and, and we've settled these disputes financially before things even have to go to court and you pay your insurance. But if neither a company or party can agree, we'll go to arbitration. Just like in car insurance accidents, 97% of them are, are handled by Geico and Nationwide, et cetera, right? But then occasionally they get elevated to litigation and they go to court. The only difference is instead of the state running it, it's an arbitrating firm that both companies have agreed to be as a third-party arbitrator in the future. And so I do that, and then I give you a little phone app, right? And the phone app says, like, tracks your GPS because you wanted the convenience. It says, hey, you're heading into this town. 10 things you should not fucking do in this town, right? <laughs> this town doesn't let you do this. Make sure you know not to do that, right? And, it's, and if you install that app on your phone, you get a cheaper insurance rate from your insurance company that protects your rights because they know that you're less of a problem and, and then they're, they're less likely going to have to handle these situations in court because you're going to behave appropriately or at the very least you're going to have the appropriate information to be. Okay. okay. Right. I, I don't really know the answer yeah. right? because, yeah. because I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not a consequentialist yeah. either, but that's, that, that's just one way that that convenience that sounds so bad. It's like, well, if it really is that important, people will want it. Yeah. Right. And people will find ways to voluntarily obtain it as opposed to this idea that we should arbitrarily impose presumed convenience onto people and then say from this kind of, you know, um, you know, social contract theory, we can kind of like post hoc justify it and say, well, people love the convenience of our oppression that you're not allowed to get out. Yeah. It's like, fuck you. Let me choose it. So one, another reason why communism becomes popular mm. or is favored by, let's say, these companies. It, and I don't know if America's going communist, but it's adopting more and more communist tactics, um, you know, like departments of uh, information or truth and, and reconciliation and all these things. And I would these, say it's going, I would say it's going Marcuse. Marcuse? I would say it's, it's more, yeah, I would say it's more Marcuse than, than let's say, okay. communist per se. Let, uh, I mean, it's a natural trajectory of the, of the dialectic, right? Moving into Marxist materialist dialectics and then postmodernism and then like the rebranching of critical theory. Okay. I, I would say it's moving into like what I like to call to the normies at the very least. I, I just call it like um, rainbow neoliberalism. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's yeah. a, it's a sick kind of Nazi-esque mixture of, of socialism, communism, a perfect idealized state with like LGBT issues yeah. all wrapped into one terrible package. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. So whatever that is, whatever you just described as Marcusean Marxist, the, the, I don't know. There's so many ideas and thinkers going on in it, but you see it emerging because it favors power. It favors centralized power. Power is just adopting all these different things to maintain and extend its power. How does liberty, again, this is back to how do you sell libertarianism? How do you put the seed of libertarianism in a government such as the United States government? Let's say, how do you make it advantageous to it? to allow different communities to do different things, to, to loosen up its universalizing grip and allow yeah, difference mean, to happen and then maybe reap the rewards, maybe, maybe incentivize it somehow. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 probably one of the toughest questions you could ever ask a libertarian, right? And and they'll give you cop out answers, but I appreciate the hard question, right? Because you know when you look at the long march through the institutions, the yeah. kind of like you know Lenin's you know dual power theory 2.0, right? Because um, you know dual power theory was the idea of like creating you know you know and 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 the the Gromsky's kind of like you know counter uh, you know cultural hegemon. Like all of these tactics that the left have been doing since they started to see the failure of communist revolutions that have been gripping us really since, you know, since the, you know, since before, you know, I, I don't know where it really starts. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone kind of points to the Frankfurt School. Right. But I mean, the Frankfurt the School just adapted inspired- it uh, to to a cultural mix rather than economic or class based. I guess they went from class to identity somehow. Yeah, but I think but I think the strategy changed there too. Right? Yeah. By by adopting the countercultural hegemony, they, I think they recognize much like the Fabian Society, which is where I get my channel's name from, Fabian Liberty, because it's the opposite of the Fabian Society. Um, which is, um, I, I have a belief that more freedom over time will eventually convince more people. But right, but how do you when you know that the state's incentive is more power? And the corporations that engage in regulatory capture, you know, to, to borrow from from um, Yarvin, right, like the cathedral as a whole, right, they're they're incentivized towards the gaining of power. And so how do you incentivize a state based apparatus to give up power? Right. It's 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 an impossible demand. And and I think I, I and I think you're right. It's a huge problem for libertarianism because, you know, the fascist sees this and goes, yeah, we'll, we'll stamp out all the people that don't believe in our values once the right gets pissed off enough and we have a large enough reaction and we'll put an end to this. And the left says we'll slowly subvert and slowly poison and slowly gain power and capture. One of these two will win. It's kind of the, this seems to be modern history's kind of pattern. Hmm. Um, what I would say is that there is a third solution. And the third solution is is a long one, and I don't know that it's a guaranteed victory, right? And, I, and so I won't I won't mince any I won't mince like I won't I won't BS right and be like no 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 it's all fine I, I you know I think I think the fascists and 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 the the commies do have a a a, a more viable strategy, um, but what I think, which is the right one, the only one that I think is morally true, is a combination of of pulling away combination of centralizing like-minded individuals that have following a philosophy of liberty um, and, and pulling away. Because while the right kind of reaction, I, I know I'm borrowing Marxist terms here when I say reactionary, but it's the best term to describe, right? Um, even though they're talking about people that, never mind, we'll just, we'll use it colloquially, right? I'm not using it the Marxian way. Okay. While, while the right reaction can use violence to stamp out the left in its institutions, the, what I see is a slow march in history towards less and less violence and more and more pulling the levers of control, right? I think we're moving away from putting troops in the street and like firing everybody towards using algorithms, using behavioral nudging, using marketing and advertising to slowly self-censor and censor people into having the right ideas and pulling the economic levers so that, you know, it's harder and harder for people to financially fight back and things of that nature. Um, you know, getting people banned from banks or PayPal 
I think that's we're moving into a kind of a new unknown territory, kind of here be dragons at the end of the map. Yeah. And what I think the right answer for libertarianism is, is to just move, like move to New Hampshire, be a part of the free state project, find people that agree with you. And I think we need to focus on the philosophy because okay. I'll remind people that there is another part of human history where everything changed because a few philosophers brought arguments that were so damn convincing it changed the world. And we call this the enlightenment, right? I mean, there is a, and, and, and we've fallen from the enlightenment. I would say that enlightenment philosophers were using a form of utilitarianism and consequentialism and convergence to discover objective truth. And those systems of consequentialism and utilitarianism have been poisoned. And they're now used to subvert Christianity, subvert truth. I'm not a Christian for the record, but I have a lot of, that's different, but they're used, they're, they're used it to pull away towards what values and subjective preferences leftism has always had, right? And then mixed with the dialectic. And so they've been poisoned in such a degree that we're getting further and further away from the truth. Um, hmm. And so I would, I would say is, I, I think we need a philosophical awakening and I think we need to prepare okay. for the fact that, that times might get worse. Well, no, black I, yeah, I don't think they're going to get better. Uh, so build a chicken coop right now. Um, as, my philosophy um talk about a white pill just a little egg every every morning you got your own egg um the problem with philosophy yeah right is that it doesn't make any sense unless you're a philosopher uh you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. there's a lot of autists uh and and uh libertarian every libertarian that i've known has been smarter than me um and very smart uh, on top of that not that i'm all that smart but they're always very smart people um they process information in a way that most people don't the problem mm -hmm. is is that religion fills the gap because it tells stories that translate values or encapsulate values that can make sense to the philosopher and make sense to the normie or the pleb so right you know so you talk about the enlightenment you evoke you know, these Scott, Scottish people uh, making all these arguments, right? And you say that we've fallen from the Enlightenment. Maybe we never had the Enlightenment. Maybe they just kind of were, were grasping the whole time. And whatever they grasped in that grasping allowed for a, a great amount of um, advancement in some way, but then also led to progressivism in another way. Um, no, I agree. I, I agree. I think they were incomplete. But I think they were using a system of, of, of consequentialism that, 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 allowed them to discover okay. natural law deontological positions, right? They weren't using Christianity that says thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, okay. right? They were using kind of like this 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 ethics of utilitarianism to okay. go like, well this seems to be a rule that is basically universalism, universal, right? And they were discovering certain things like freedom of speech, right? Like you know, as much as I dislike utilitarianism, JS Mill you know, like he's when he writes on liberty, he comes up with all of these different arguments that basically becomes this unassailable consequentialist argument for the need for 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 freedom of speech. But I would say that the philosophy that they were using was was always on shaky ground because it was easily subverted over 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 time by what we have today. OK, so let's concentrate on what do you mean by consequentialism? I would mean that any form of the, the normative ethics, so anything that particularism, utilitarianism, I would put them all in the broad category of consequentialism, which is that an individual takes 
there. And this is probably an, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to give a charitable definition. <laughs> Tell me a story, <laughs> where, like, like where, just a playground story. ELI five. Right, right. So, so the idea being like, it's wrong to steal, right? And the Christian would say it's wrong to steal because God commanded us not to steal, right? Uh, you know, God that gave us logic, you know, the breath of life in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was yes, with God. Yes. Right? He gave us logos, right? It's wrong to steal, right? Well, the, 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 the consequentialist would say, well, it's wrong to steal because you wouldn't want to live in a society. What, what if you maximize this and everybody stole all the time and nobody stole? If we said that it was okay to steal, um, you know, then, then, then saying that would, um, would lead to a horrible breakdown of society and we would have a terrible world to live in. The problem is, is that the consequentialists will then simultaneously contradict themselves and say, well, it's okay to tax. And taxes are okay because it's not really stealing because, well, we have some cockamamie reason why it's not stealing, even though people are, are involuntarily having their resources taken from them. But it's okay because we all benefit. There's a calculus, right? Who will build the roads, the police, the fire departments, the system of governance? The safety and security is assured by our taxation. So it's okay to do something that's that you might consider wrong because the calculations at the end yes. show that we live in a better world because of this thing. Okay. It seems like human nature is always going to engineer some sort of God, um, some sort of just authority. Thou shalt not steal versus um, it, it, it's really important not to be homophobic. And so we're going to have a day for not being homophobic. We're going to have a day to recognize you know, like all the gay days. I'm just, sorry to bring up the gender thing. There's so many gay days like like you know, the United States government. is just like it's so many gay days. Like there's all these gay days. Um, and is it's it God. yesterday or today, like the the like the, the apologizing for homophobia day or something? Yeah, something and biphobia. Don't forget biphobia too. Uh, you know, it's just like bidirectional phobia. If you can't turn left, right, and you're just scared of like that choice, you want like a third way all the time. Anyways, um, so you bring up consequentialism. So they 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 reason through. They instead of doing a myth like "Thou shalt not steal," God says. Period. Um, they they have a thought experiment that leads you down this road of seeing how things operate, and then they have to smuggle in authority. Ultimately, it seems like human nature on a societal level tends towards creating some sort of God, some sort of all-consuming or all-directional purpose for everybody to submit to. You, uh, another hard sell for libertarian is you do you, but a bunch of people doing them are you going to no. eventually no. conglomerate into an us, we do us, and, and you must do us too. It just seems like na human this nature. This is why I'm so glad battle. I'm here. Okay. This, this is why I'm so glad I'm here, because just... You say I've, I've spoken to these libertarians. They seem like really smart people, and I'm sure many of them are, right? Um, the, here is a problem. There's a problem within libertarianism that is true with any ideology or philosophy, right? Um, if you were to go to a random Christian and ask them to explain, like, certain theological principles of, like, you know, what did God mean when he told Israel that, you know, that they don't want a king, right? And you were to ask all the Christians what that was about. What do you think? Maybe one percent might get a might get a like a real interpretation that's meaningful, mm. right? And ninety nine percent are probably either not even going to know that part of judges, right? Right? Or they're going to, or they're going to just get the answer wrong. And this is true of libertarianism too, because libertarianism is a distinct philosophy okay. in that the non aggression principle, 
as backed up by argumentation ethics, is a system of, of, of legal philosophy, natural law, that is descriptive. It tells us these are the things we can rationally, via logic, prove are morally unjustified. But all of the things that go into the other category, libertarianism itself does not make moral prescriptions about. That is up to whatever society you believe in, be it Christian, be it Muslim, be it, be it um, secularist, be it, you know, the, whatever, right? And so what will happen is that you will see baby libertarians, right? Libertarians that don't really understand the philosophy will say, well, this is okay, therefore sex work is okay. Like Reason TV, like celebrating sex workers. It's like, no, that's not libertarianism. Libertarianism just says, I'm not allowed to call the police and kick down your door because you're a sex worker. It says nothing about my opinions, whether or not the slattern is a good person, right? And, and, and so hmm. when you say, well, well, the society will invent this, it's like, well, yeah, the, the closest thing we have to anarcho-capitalism in the United States today are the Amish and the Mennonites, right? Like those are ANCAP societies and they're deeply, deeply Christian societies. And so... When we, when we talk about moral prescriptions, we're we're out of the domain of this is in part the weakness of libertarianism because communism gives you a moral prescription and it gives you an enemy to hate. And and statism gives you a sense of safety and security, whereas libertarianism tries to sell you mystery and confusion. Yeah. And it's just yeah. because it's complicated. OK. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. OK. Um, so. So, yeah. So, I mean, when you say, well, you know, just you do you. What it actually means is I'm not going to call the cops and arrest you and put you in a gulag for doing you. But it doesn't mean that I won't build a community of Christians that tell you you're not allowed in my community because you're disgusting and you're gross and we don't want your kind around. Here. Yeah. OK. Could you could you get it? I think this is be a good entry point for what ANCAP is for the normie audience. And mm. I love my audience because they're as normie as I am in so many different ways. And I'm a total normie here. So how are the Amish and cap? Like, what, what does that mean? Uh, they, they ride in buggies, they wear dresses, they build barns in a day. Um, you know, they have like one year per life of complete, mm -hmm. just absolute madness with cocaine and hookers, whatever you want to do for Rome spring or whatever. Um, and then they go back mm -hmm. to normal most, mostly, and they have among the highest birth rates in the world, if not America. So what is it about yeah. their community? If we kind of strip away the cultural, the very strict cultural norms that they have, if you strip those away, how economically or politically they are, ANCAP or anarcho-capitalist? So two things. Uh, I'll answer your question. I just want to say one thing. When you say Amish, right, um, they're, what you're really, you're, 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 you have the caricature of, of Amish people in Pennsylvania, right, that, that are askew technology and stuff. There are the beachy Amish, which are communities that are kind of somewhere in between Mennonites and Amish, right? The Mennonites are more progressive. Than the, than the beach Amish. Progressive meaning what? Uh, Sorry. More like religiously progressive, like more liberal, like, the, you know what I mean? Like like the beachy Amish will have, they use cell phones and drive cars okay. and work jobs, okay. right? But like, but at the same time, not everybody that's beachy Amish has a cell phone. And it's very, very common amongst the beachy Amish um, that the cell phone's very restricted um, by choice. 
and that the wives and the husbands utilize each other's cell phones and and that friend groups use their cell phones as a means of being their brother's keeper to ensure that they're not um abusing they're not like you know going down a sinful path yes yeah Hmm. um so so what ancap really is right at at its at its at its at its most base point right what anarcho-capitalism is is a political philosophy of 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 law that states that one ought follow the non-aggression principle and so what this means is that you should not aggress upon anybody else, right? Um, you should not be the the initiator of violence or force against other people. Now, once you pull that apart, that means you can't stop capitalism by force, right? Like you can't, the, the communist that says, you know, it, it means private property rights because they're connected to um, to an individual's bodily autonomy and they have a rights. They have rights to private property. I, I could explain that more, but I want to be, like you said, keep it simple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Kiss so, me. so a religious community that has a, a self-imposed voluntary set of rules yeah. that doesn't arbitrarily impose or aggress upon other people is one-to-one commiserate with anarcho-capitalism. Now, I have disagreements with. Right. To me, I'm a little bit more progressive in my social values. To me. You know, I don't like their pacifist stance, right? Because I think it's not necessarily a path to success long term. But but that doesn't mean that they're not ANCAP and that they don't follow anarcho-capitalism. What doesn't follow anarcho-capitalism is forced taxation, forms of, of, of slavery, um, you know, if any forms of aggression or fraud against other people. And the Amish don't do that or to the best of their ability, don't do that. And and they have, you know, council of elders and, and the thing is, is that another important element of, of, of Amish society is that you can leave, right? Like once you come of age and in, in many of them, they actually force them to leave to go out and experience the rest of the world to make sure that this is really the life and the choice that you want to make to be a part of the community. And I, I think it's that's why it's so much. It's so commiserate with, with anarcho-capitalism. Yeah. It's- when you think ANCAP, you think like libertarian mecca you know, big corporations, money bags. And that's, that's not really what it is. Yeah. Huh. The, the, a problem for me, um, just narratively or just, I guess, in a certain form of philosophy, philosophically is this notion of choice. Like one wasn't, one didn't choose to be born. One didn't choose to be a man or a woman. One doesn't choose when they die. But if you go up to Canada, you could probably, you know, kill your baby and, and you know. Yeah, here soon. Yeah, right. Um, yourself. Uh, so I just, it, that just seems so one-sided. Like, I want freedom, but I know that every freedom that I'm afforded is built on previous obligations of my forefathers yes. uh, and of my civilization dating back thousands of years. The people who sacrificed themselves like the, for me. Um, afforded. I don't like the pacifism portion of, 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 of the Amish. Okay. Right? Like, I think you do need to fight to protect these systems. Yeah. Um, well, and, and just, just to bring up that, like the Amish, yeah, they get a year off to go out, but it's kind of, it's kind of tricky because they weren't given the option in their rearing. They weren't given multiple options in their rearing of all these different things. So they're just kind of thrown out into the wild. And of course they're going to mostly come back because they were not acculturated to these other forms of living. So it's not really voluntary. 
Like they, if you're born Amish, I, I don't know what the recidivism rate or the, the, the fleeing rate is, but it's got to be like one or two, five percent or something like that. Right. So voluntariness yeah, is a that. very subjective thing. So, well, so when we say, when we say voluntary, we mean coerced, right? Like, like non-coercion. You're not lied to. There's no fraud being committed in the action and there's no threats of 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 being compelled by by some measure or but there's always do you have any kids yes i have two children okay like two-year-olds you have to compel them to wash their freaking hands to go to bed yeah okay so human being doesn't is not born a rational voluntary agent this is what i'm trying to figure out no 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 what what i would say is so walter block has a a wonderful essay on this um and, and he's a sweet grandpa and he would he would told he'll talk to anybody he'd love to talk and he has some wild things that he believes that I disagree with, like voluntary slave. Um, he, he wrote a bunch of books called Defending the Indefense, right? Huh. Um, but setting that aside, right? Like I disagree with him, but that, that's, you know, that's another day. But what I would say is this, is that a child is, is, is an emergent adult, right? A child is not capable of consent, right? Well, we recognize that they will grow up into an adult that has the capacity for, for choice, um, and so what it is, is as a guardian, it is your responsibility to protect to the best of your ability, um, the, 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 the latent adult properties, if you will, like the, the idea that you, this person has human rights and they ought not be violated. Right. And, and to violate them would be a form of aggression. Right. But that doesn't mean that you, that the, because the kid wants to wear a fucking purple raincoat to school on a day where it's not raining that you go, well, they made that choice. So we let them. Right. What it means is, look, I am the parent. I'm a rational actor. I'm an adult here. I have like a fully formed frontal cortex. Right. Like I'm going to compel you. Absolutely. Um, because hmm. what you're what you're really doing is kind of think of it like a will. Right. Right. When, when someone dies. Yeah. When someone dies, their will kind of um, it, it lets them know what their wishes were after they're dead. Right. Now, imagine if a will needed to be translated over time, uh, let's say a period of 18 years, right? Well, as you translated more and more of the will, you'd, you'd start to see the individual you have here and, and, and think of them like that, right? You, you kind of start to understand what it is that they want, but you can't fully release any of the property from a will until the whole thing is, is translated mm, yeah. just in case you did something wrong, right? Yeah. So what you do is as they become more and more of an individual, you as a parent, you begin to give them more freedom, more individual choices, and you kind of back off. Yeah. Right? But ultimately, you don't relinquish that control until the very end, yeah. until they've really proven themselves to be worthy of, of going out, striking out on their own as, as an adult. Yeah. And that is very culturally specific. Different cultures acculturate their children to greater or lesser degrees of independence and freedom. You think of the tiger mom, Asian stereotype. I know a lot of Asians. Some of them are my friends, so this isn't being racist at all. But there's a particular type of Asian woman immigrant immigrates to America and instills in her daughter or son. You have to study. You have to study. You have to study and and still and really, really rides them because and doesn't give them so much choice. So much as maximalizing a, a narrow range of choices. You can be a music director, a doctor, a lawyer. You know, there's certain cultures, maybe you could bring up the Jews if you wanted to, that really ride their children to produce, to be really productive members of society, to have a 
really big sense of obligation to a very narrow set, to basically their family and maybe their religion or their clan a little bit, but it's really restricted. And then others like basically waspy people that just let their kids run roughshod because they want to give their kid the maximum amount of freedom to explore themselves and maximize themselves. And maybe those kids, some of them become very, very brilliant. Most of them kind of become very, very marginalized. It's just a different kind of calculus. So it's not the human being can be programmed for more or less voluntary freedom. Right. So in, in a libertarian, I guess just for you, because you're saying libertarianism is you're not going to judge anybody else, but to what degree do you want your kid to be successful or, or to be, to be free? Because I think freedom isn't just slavery. It's also success. You have to submit your, your freedoms, your immediate desires, let's say for long-term outcomes. So there's a lot of, tension there. So I'm just wondering how you implement libertarianism in your children. So, so I would say that, you know, the relevant literature that, because we're in the domain of things I can't prove to be unjustified, right? Important distinction for libertarianism. Right. Often things when, when, I when can't often. prove to be unjust. See, you guys, you have such a branding issue. Like I have to, you have to explain that. I'm explaining. I'm explaining. I'm explaining. Okay. Right. When most when most ideologies or philosophies or people say you should do this, there is a, a, a hidden threat of coercion or force behind that. Right. When the communist says this shouldn't exist, they're often also saying, and I will use the violence of the state to stop it. Yeah. Right. When when the Christian conservative says, you know, um, you know, we don't want, you know, children playing violent video games. It's it's very quickly followed up by a law for like an ESRB rating system or something. Yeah. Right. There's going to be an element of coercion in that. Right. So and I agree to that in things that are inherently aggressive. Right. If I can prove that you're uh, if I can prove that you're aggressing, you're initiating force or violence against somebody or their property, which is in effect violence against them. Right. Because you can't uh, separate their property from their past and their present. Hmm. Um, they have a historical link. You make them a slave in the past when you steal their property because they work for the things that they achieve. And then in the present, you're stealing those things that they work to achieve. Yeah. Um, so what I would say is, but there's another domain, which is like, I can't prove it's aggression. Right. So I cannot unequivocally prove that I ought use force or that I'm allowed to use the police state, if you will, or whatever force available to me to stop you. That doesn't stop me from making moral prescriptions about what I think should and shouldn't be done. Right. This is where we go into the domain of trying to argue with people yeah. and trying to self-segregate okay. um, yeah. into communities that follow the values that I have yeah. and then trying to convince okay. other people. What I don't get to do is take over Japan because I think because I think tiger moms are bad, right? Yeah. What I say is, well, that's how the Japanese do things. I think the Japanese are doing it wrong. Here's how I'm doing, right? So from the relevant literature in psychology, I would say hmm. that generally when we talk about child rearing, we're talking about four types of parenting. Um, is, is how is how most of the research breaks it up. There's authoritarian, authoritative, um, um, uh, neglectful, and then there is, oh my God, I can't, the, the free range parenting kind, I can't think of the name, the, the relevant term in the literature for it. But these are the four, right? And what we find is that the free range parenting allows for kids that are mentally pretty, the healthiest, they tend to be mentally the healthiest. Flexible. They tend to have the least amount of, 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 of issues. Um, in terms of their mental health, um, but they also tend to be the least um, self-reliant uh, and mm. financially struggle and have issues and then end up with stress 
and and financial concerns. On the other end of the scale, you have authoritarian, the tiger moms, right? Those kids tend to develop a lot of stress, have a lot of mental health issues, um, but they also are the most successful financially and the most self-reliant. And then authoritative is kind of like the the in-between. And it tends to do, again, this is kind of like doing a calculus. What do yeah. you value more, yeah. right? Like, what is your value? Like, what's more important? Um, but they tend to do kind of the best of the both worlds. And then neglectful kids of neglectful parents or abusive parents kind of just are are, are screwed every which way, hmm. right? Um, I, I tend to think as a libertarian, the way that I parent, right, is that I, I, I tend to be authoritative, or at least I try to be. Um, but I also try and instill at a very young age um, a sense of boundaries and independence in the children, okay. while also recognizing that I am the, the father figure. For, 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 for example, you know, my daughter is mostly potty trained. You know, she wears diapers when she goes to bed. Um, she wears diapers when we go out in public in places where I can't trust that there's easy access to a public restroom. And and my son is autistic. So even then, that's like really difficult to do like public restrooms with a daughter, with a son. Yeah. And like there's never a changing station in the men's bathroom anyways. Um, <laughs> right. So so what I tend to do with my daughter is like if I have to change her diaper and she's freaking out, like I talk with her about it. Right. Like just a little bit. I'm like, OK, daddy has to do this. I don't force her. Like I try and let her know, like, I understand yeah. that, like, this is your space and everything. Yeah. We got to clean it up. And I do the best I can mm. to, like, get her to, to to that, you know, try and be calm. I sometimes I'll, I'll make a game out of it. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And we'll play around a little bit. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to be like, be quiet like we're doing this. Right. Because I want her to have that sense of I want to build at a young age, yeah. a sense of independence, a sense of individuality. Yeah. But at the same time. I, yeah, I'm not going to give my daughter a urinary tract infection because she doesn't want her diaper changed, right? Like, it, no, I'm changing your damn diaper. Yeah, yeah. So if if you were if you didn't if you were given San Francisco, you didn't have to take it by force. It was a gift mm -hmm. um, somehow, um, vo completely voluntary. Um, you have a bunch of tech billionaires and then druggies in the streets, right? And everybody gets to do what they want on some level that seems kind of libertarian in a way, because there's a bunch of very, very rich people and a bunch of very, very just people just shooting all the drugs that they want, right? Like, th this is a messed up version of, of libertarianism. So I'm wondering how you would reform a place like San Francisco with the disparities that it would have to make it a place where you would want to live, right? Where, how do you enforce a moral order on the, on the, on the highest and lowest elements of society to bring them in tune? Okay. So I don't know that there's a right way to answer this question because it's such a fantastical kind of idea. Well, thank you for right? humoring me. Yeah. Like, I think I think the right answer to that is like Wyclef John's uh, if I was president. Right. Which is if I was president, I'd be elected on Friday. I'd be assassinated on Saturday. I'd be buried on Sunday. <laughs> right. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure whatever scenario creates this is going to have me killed very soon. Um, the powers that be are not going to uh, uh, allow that. But I would say, yes, the, the term you're looking for is libertine. Right. Which is these ideas that aren't really grounded in libertarian philosophy. What are they all, grounded in this then? idea of? Well, they're grounded in in many people that flock to libertarianism have a certain personality, yeah. right? Which is the we like to call them like guns, God, and ganja. You know what I mean? Like I want people to just be able to do whatever, live and let live. And um, 
you know, Hoppe argues in Democracy, the God that failed, that one cannot be a libertarian without being conservative and one cannot be a traditional conservative without being libertarian. Um, I, I'm sure many conservatives would take issue with that, but, but, but it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very silly kind of notion that you have of, of, um, not you personally, I understand you said it was like kind of a, you know, how is this yeah. not the utopia? Yeah. But, but so, so I just want to point that out that that's not really what libertarianism is. So okay. I'm the private property owner of all of this city of Cal, the, this, this giant city of California, right? So just and San Francisco. Let's not do California. Like, just San Francisco. Just San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay, so, so San Francisco. The first thing I do is I um, completely abolish, like I slowly begin the process, right, of abolishing all systems of governance. How does this not turn into an anarchy hellhole? You know, would Mad you start Max with the police or road? with uh, the school board? Let's just just for sake of argument. So, so, so if I don't want people dead, right? I'll, I'll give a I'll give a I'll give a macro scale so you can understand the process because I think this is an example I use that works well, right? So, if I don't want people dead, what I first have to do is I first have to give people the freedom to create solutions, and then I have to slowly, I have to slowly get rid of the oppressive things that are pricing out of the market the actual solutions until eventually I can dissolve. Them. A lot of ANCAPs wow. are going to be mad at me for this Interesting. because okay. they would say your duty is to get rid of everything. So I'll give you an example. The Food and Drug Administration. The Food and Drug Administration is a horrible, horrendous, terrible thing that has the, that is the blood of so many people on its hands. Right. During the AIDS epidemic. Right. They 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 stopped medications for for HIV. They stopped vitamins and things like that from coming in forcibly poisoning um, people with AZT and horrible doses and cancer um, because the science said it was okay. Uh, right? Fauci was there though, wasn't he? Like uh, making sure that everything was okay and that. Fauci, Fauci Fauci deserves Fauci. a lifelong prison sentence for many different crimes. Oh, okay. um, he's a repeat but, offender. You know, of, <laughs> he's a repeat offender, right? But also, we could look at we could look at Purdue Pharma as an example, right? And the way that they captured FDA. Um, they got them to get a special warning label. Um, they were able to to sell to doctors a fraudulent product, Oxycontin, as non-addictive mm. and um, told all the doctors across the country, especially in the region of Appalachia, um, in, in, in the Appalachian regions in Pennsylvania and Virginia, that this was a miracle drug that would get rid of pain, right? They, and, and then, of course, we have the opioid epidemic, right? Um, and, of course, we could also look at the fact that 25% of all drugs that are FDA approved are recalled later for, for issues. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible scheme. And it's, a, it's the cathedral, right? The large corporation in the state, you know, Purdue, all these companies pay hundreds of millions of funding to the FDA. And then the FDA trusts their studies yeah. and rarely does investigations. Not to mention all the, all the executives that are just cir circulating among all these. Just right. circulating. So hopefully your audience is like is correctly incensed at only hearing 10% of the crimes or 1% of the crimes of the FDA, right? So what happens if we just get rid of the FDA tomorrow? Well, what happens is who fucking knows, right? And many handcaps will say that is the right answer. What I would say, and that's why my name is Fabian Liberty, because I believe in the Fabian strategy, is a, a slow reversal of things. Hmm. Um, Fabianism coming from Fabius, the, general, the first general to defeat um, Hannibal, um, when Hannibal invaded, he he burned all the farmlands and did hit and run tactics because he knew Hannibal couldn't get his supply lines through the through the Alps fast enough, and he was forced to retreat. The Fabian Society basically their strategy was slowly we'll have more progressive 
welfare systems and then eventually um, the UK and the world will become communist. Um, we believe the opposite. We, we can people will like free market things if we actually free the market. OK. And it will it will be more effective because it, it, it's impossible for the state to do better than the free market. Um, it's because the free market doesn't suffer the economic calculation. Problem. Yeah. Um, OK. For the readers and listeners, Hayek, you need to read your Hayek. 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 Um, yeah. But so so what I would do, right, is the first thing I would do is I would make it legal for people to take drugs, period, right? Let's not go full-blown war on dr- anti-war on drugs, right? Like one step at a time. I'm not going to make heroin legal like immediately, like though eventually it will be, right? Hmm. What I'm going to do is just like, listen, if a, if a drug is approved in the UK or Canada or in Australia, there's no fucking reason we can't take it. I think one of the great examples, this was during the Biden administration, baby formula. We weren't allowed to legally buy baby formula from Europe during our shortage, Instead, what did the government do? They sent Connexes to Switzerland to buy Nestle baby formula to then bring that in with your tax dollars. When we could have just bought formula from like the UK, which has better standards on baby formula and less soy and sugar than our own baby formula. It was stupid, right? And so I would say, like, we'll get rid of that, all right? Well, anybody can take anything and doctors can prescribe any drug that they want to their patients, right? The doctor says, take this tea, they can do it, right? Well, all of a sudden, patients are going to be like, well, I don't know if I can trust my doctor. I don't know if I can trust this. And all of a sudden, there starts to become companies that'll come forward. that will be like, we'll tell doctors okay. what new drugs are good drugs and bad drugs, right? And it'll end up getting tied to their medical insurance, et cetera. And then as companies begin to fill this role and there's competition in the market where insurance companies and doctors and patients are all utilizing different sources that are competing, that are trying to afford accurate information at the lowest price available, right, to doctors and patients. Eventually, we just phase out the FDA. And that convenience aspect you're saying we need will will just be there. No one, it'll go away like a whisper. Hmm. No one will care that the FDA is gone because insurance companies and companies that, and, and, and doctors and whatever will already be use, utilizing a private FDA model, if you will, that is more effective and costs less money. And while your drug prices might go up, your taxes will go down, right? <laughs> and as your taxes go down, they'll go down at a higher rate than your drug prices will go up because it's a government organization. It, it's By definition, it won't be as effective as that. Okay. So you so think that- I would institute the same thing in this, in this, this with policing and every other- in, in San Francisco. So you see, yeah. you, you can't, I would, I, would, I would strengthen the rights of private security, right? I would allow private security to kill people that, that are in their fucking stores, you know, stealing things or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like if you go and do a smash a grab in a target, I'm going to say, look, we're going to defund the police, but also target you're allowed to hire security guards and we're not going to prosecute you. If you kill someone that's doing a smash yeah. grab in your store, yeah. guess what? We don't need, progressive DAs and all this other yeah. shit. If people do a smash and grab in a target and okay. all of a sudden they get popped. You would still have some sort of uh, judge looking through the footage to see that the security isn't just randomly like going on murder sprees. And yeah, yeah. I mean like, again, you, you have to do a slow process in order for this to work effectively without it just, without it. But, like people are so hooked on this drug of statism, right? That you hmm. can't just go cold turkey overnight. 
Like the, ideologically, they believe at this point that they need all of these institutions and that the, and hilariously enough, they believe that these institutions like the FBI are protecting them, right? Instead of just causing terrorist attacks all the time, which is what they do, right? They, they hilariously enough believe that the FBI is on, FBI is on their side, right? So you need a slow process of dismantling these things. You can't just destroy all these institutions and then be like, oh, it'll work hunky dory. Yeah. I mean, pragmatically. Anyways. Oh, okay. So if, if these, uh, let's just do a thought experiment. The United States government becomes so bloated and inept that it undermines its own authority um, and then starts to corrode and collapse from the inside, which might be happening right now. Um, let's just say this huge lumbering beast, the cathedral, just kind of starts to collapse on a variety of different levels. Is, is it possible that in that decay, that, uh, some sort of libertarianism or conservative mentality plus a libertarian ethos and i want to i want to get into that like that it has to be married i think they have to be married i don't think you can have libertarianism without some sort of honor culture without upright individuals to to behave in their mm-hmm. own best interests to think mm-hmm. smartly and then to educate other people uh their children to think smartly and stuff like that but do do you see some libertarian hero coming in and saving the collapsing world government that is currently run by the United States, whoever is running the United States right now. So, so I'm not, I'm not particularly good at writing teen dystopian novels, right? Like I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's nice to fantasize about for sure. Yeah. Um, You know, I think, I think when, when things collapse, I think more often than not, history shows us that people, people beg for powerful figures to come in and fix things by any means necessary. Yeah. I think that tends to actually be the, the, um, the Caesar the, effect the, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, yeah. I think, I think that's more likely. And that is why I think it's really important that libertarians, I don't want to say give up, right? Because there's a simple, you know, you know, James Lindsay, a lot of other people, they get really mad when libertarians say this and talk about national divorce and things like that. Right. I'm not saying apply for national divorce tomorrow. What I am saying is, is why are you in New York? Right. When New York announces, you know, that they're going to start like reducing, um, they're going to start tax carbon taxing red meat to get rid like, like, why are you living there? Why? Why? Move. They don't want you. They don't. They will not be kind to you and they will put you against the wall if this trajectory continues. Hmm. So why are you living next to these people? Right. And so I think. Once that pro, once people, once people get it, right, that, that, that you need to move to a community of like-minded individuals, right, that creates a, a resistance effect, right, because, you know, hmm. it's easy to bomb a country or a city into oblivion, but not if you want to take it over, right, because, and, and this is why, like, total war is great when your back is against a wall. But it doesn't work when you want the resources, including human capital from an area, right? And so the idea, if enough people are together, right, you, you know, enough like-minded libertarian, paleo-libertarian, conservative, limited government people are living in an area, right? It becomes very difficult for an authoritarian regime to just march in and, and by decree because you can't just bomb the whole thing. I mean, you can. Right. But then the United Nations is going to come after the country like you're going to make enemies everywhere. You're going to lose um, kind of your soft power and your political capital. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be expensive and you're going to gain nothing from it other than like getting rid of a presumed enemy. Um, And so 
this is why this is why you need the Second Amendment. This is why you need gun rights. Um, even though you know you, you need you need to arm yourself, you need to be in an area because you know you can look at let's say World War II when 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 the Germans took over France and the French resistance in World War II. They were able to slow down the Germans by multiple days and basically stymied the Blitzkrieg because they put dinner plates on the road. And the Germans couldn't tell whether or not those were landmines, right? Like, like trying to occupy a country of, of determined citizens that want their freedom is incredibly expensive. So it's not really about fighting them in this all out war. It's about a deterrence and about separating and about recognizing that, yeah, the, the state power and some of these institutions may continue to grow in power and ridiculousness. But you need a you need a pushback against that. And I don't know what that future looks like. Does it look like secession? Does it look like does it look OK? Does it look like things, you know, just kind of normalized? Does it look like all out war? Like, I, I don't know. Mm. I'm not engaged in a crystal ball thinking. Yeah, yeah. But I, I can look at New Hampshire and I can look at the fact that during covid, for example, they passed a ton of bills where, for example, in New Hampshire, which is where the Free State Project is, where a lot of libertarians have moved, they have forced the Republican Party there to a more libertarian position. And the Republic, like, even though the, the, the libertarians were winning elections, they had to appeal to libertarians or lose elections. And so with the COVID policy, the state of New Hampshire was the only state that refused to do any federal tracking of vaccines. They were like, yeah, you want to, you want to mandate this shit in schools? That's fine. We're not going to give you any information, right? Like it became too cost prohibitive to deal with it. Okay. The state of New Hampshire has said, we're going to, we refuse to enforce any gun laws. Um, on constitutional carry or assault rifles. So it's like, we're not going to stop you. We're not going to start a war. But if you want people to not have their assault rifles, you're going to have to go door to door with federal agencies, right? Like, hmm. so I, I don't know. That is a, God, it's such a bigger <laughs> conversation. Yeah, you know I know I mean? it is. It's such, a, it's such a huge thing. <laughs> I agree that, that, that it is a, a difficult prospect. What I fight for is se- self-segregation. Yeah. I fight for people to understand the philosophy a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and to gatekeep people who presume to be philosophers that say bad things that are subverted, right? Like I will gatekeep the hell out of people that are like, I'm the person you should listen to. Now let me say stuff that's totally wrong. Yeah. Um, do you think, and I think, you know, the, go ahead. No, yeah, I've talked on. way too much. I'm kind of on a ramp. There, there was a, what, what was your last point? You had one more point. And I think, do you remember? I think the libertarian. I think we we also should learn from our enemies, right? And I think the Libertarian Party, for example, needs to be a vanguard party. It is a party that pushes forward a philosophy. It's less about winning some minor election and more about about pushing ideas into a mainstream space okay. to where conservatives are no longer able to ignore the language of libertarianism, which I think you're starting to see. Okay. You're seeing conservatives use words like the state. I don't know if that's Mencius, Molbug, and Yarvin more than it is libertarians, libertarians, but but certainly like it is a, it is a, that is I think an incredible uh, I think that's a a, a big part of this fight. So mentioning Yarvin, Curtis Yarvin, I've interviewed him a couple of times. Great guy, some brilliant writing. Yeah, l- lucky you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You've worked very hard. <laughs> he should. He's 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 game. Um, You've had a lot of great interviews. He had he had a very controversial essay uh, 
everybody hated everybody hated it um where he talked about how the hobbits need to like just like follow the dark elves or something like he had this whole thing anyway so behind you is this bucolic landscape of the shire and in the uh in the novel the lord of the rings um that the shire is eventually taken over by this white wizard that becomes like the rainbow wizard um literally in the story he becomes the rainbow wizard he turns from the white wizard and the rainbow wizard not at all um seeing into the current state of affairs right now, but the Shire's taken over by the bad guy. You think hobbits with handguns, shotguns in the Shire would have stopped the greater power from this little community. And I'm talking about like you saying that there's a community, there's a community um, aspect to this or community solution. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Yeah. So I, listen, I, you know, I'm just kidding. So the reason I have the Shire behind me, I, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, uh, hobbits with handguns would have been, would have been a much better situation. You know, it, it's funny that you noticed that, uh, not that you notice that it's there, but like you kind of already are pulling apart why it's there. Um, which is that, you know, the Shire was very, very close to the type of society that we would, that we would advocate for though. Definitely is weakness. Well, private property rights in an anarchistic society is pretty rare. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, maybe the Republic of Cospaya from 1440 to 1822, I believe, is probably the only example of a anarchist society with any longevity with private property rights. Um, So it's very close to what we advocate for, as well as the joke is I'm six foot five. um, So it's kind of like an inside joke, too, because it's just funny to have behind me. and and yeah and and also it's greenery and it's cool to look at and um yeah and then when i was a kid i used to steal uh aoe aol like dvds from like blockbuster bins <laughs> like, get, you know you know like when you when like the internet you first had to like get like free trials to get it and stuff it was like a little period of time there or to like you know use aol instant messenger and stuff so i just get those demo keys and i would put in fake emails all the time because this was before you had to verify your email address and so i would put in like the Shire at, you know, Bilbo Baggins at the Shire.net or like Han Solo at the Millennium Falcon.com. Yeah. And so like it was, it was a thing. So yeah. So it's a joke. Yeah. No, I, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it is in many ways the type of society we would, we would like, yeah. but, but I don't think there is any one right type of society, right? Like people are different. And I think one of yeah. the genius ideas behind the founding fathers, um, was, was the system of federalism, you know, at the time anyways. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of, of, of having these different experimentations. Yeah. To each their own work. rather than do your, do, do what you will. Like, like there it was intentionally, like there were communities that wasn't really a concept of like the individual qua individual. Like there were the different communities, different religious orders, different, you know, settlements to each their own. You could, right. you could do these community level experiments. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, you know, the polycentric view of, of libertarianism, but also it, it, there's nothing wrong with a large swath of land being taken over by one community voluntarily, because this is the rules and the mechanisms and the companies, um, you know, that, that, that people want in that regard. Hmm. Right. Like I would have no problem with like the entire state of Florida being like one type of anarchistic community, right? Like, you know, I think certain models are scalable and certain models aren't scalable, yeah. right? Like, I think, for example, I have no problem with communists that live in a commune 
that yeah. don't violate other people's go property. Go to your caboots like, and stop posting on Twitter. Or go ahead and post yeah, yeah, it on yeah, Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'll, I'll, if you want to go live in a commune, you know, be at it. But I don't think it's a scalable thing without violence and problems beyond, like, you know, kind of like a couple hundred people. Yeah. Like, you start getting into, like, a thousand people. You start getting, what, what is, I can't name, think of the psychologist right now. But that number, it's like 226 or something. 120, um, It's yeah, like, how many... It's like how many people you can like attach a name to a face in a community. And then beyond that, like you don't know who the people, your neighbors are. And so you're not really capable of like having this partnered communal sense of like, we all own each other. Like you're just going to have problems. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like I, I have no problem. Like there's no right answer. I mean, there might be, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? From a, from like a, from an objectivist kind of like pro-life versus anti-life position, there might be one optimal path um but but yeah i don't really particularly care what the community looks like so long as the community is a voluntary community where individuals are not violating people's private property rights and people are i mean it really all comes down to and this is part of the the argumentation ethics situation is what is conflict what is a moral system but a system to reduce conflict right we want to reduce conflict amongst people to the best of our ability. And where conflict arises is when two individuals or a group of individuals want to use the same scarce resource to opposing means, right? When, you know, if, in its most simplistic form, Robin and Crusoe are stranded on an island, right? And there is a really good, pliable, thin, you know, long stick, right? And Robin wants to use the stick to fish because we're stuck on an island. I want to make a fishing pole. This will be a good fishing pole. This is how we're going to feed ourselves. And Crusoe wants to get off of the island. So he wants to use it for a raft, right? Conflict has occurred when, when, when both of these people are arguing that they have the right to use this stick, right? And, and that's, that's same true of tax revenue. This is the true of, 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 of all private property interactions. And it's also true when people violate people's bodily autonomy you know, forced labor, slavery, et cetera. It all comes down to this fundamental, this fundamental thing that there are scarce resources. And when multiple people claim that they're justified in utilizing that scarce resource towards their end, conflict has occurred, right? And so what the libertarian solution to this problem is, is the non-aggression principle, which is to say that, that someone objectively owns this stick. Okay. Right. And, Sorry, I'm I'm getting some some lag. Is it lagging on your end? Oh, as you're well? fine. It's just hiccups. Okay. All right. Fair enough. What if somebody doesn't sure opt in to the non-aggression? This is the other thing. It's like it's got to be. You have to voluntarily give up your uh, your violent nature. Like, what if somebody doesn't opt in to the non-aggression principle and just well, I mean, clubs I you over the, the head? <laughs> I think the appropriate answer to that question is to reject Donovan's violence is gold. He might be a bit of a psycho now that he's like a gay man, machismo, Nazi type-esque dude. I don't fucking know. But it's an amazing essay, right? You know, we can all say, I, re I refuse to trade with you. We can all say, you know, um, you know, I, I don't want, I, you know, in, in a truly peaceful society, he argues that like the only correct answer to, you know, I'm going to take something is or we won't be nice to you and we won't trade with you. And, you know, it only takes one upstart to say, or else what? Right. And there has to be an answer to the question, or else what? And this is why I don't agree with the pacifists. I mean, I think pacifists, if they choose to live that way, can live that way. I just don't think it's a scalable solution. 
Um, and I don't, I wouldn't call it morally right. I would actually call it morally wrong hmm. um, because it's, it's weak. And, you know, from a virtue ethics position, I, I don't, I don't, I don't look at cowardice as a form of strength. Okay. I look at it as, you know, um, but. So but yeah, violence I mean, in service of this ethic is violence yeah. in service of non aggression in the service of the non-aggression principle is valid. No. So aggression is the person who initiates force or violence on another. Okay. Self-defense is not a form of aggression. Neither is defending someone else. Right. Okay. Um, neither of these are a form of aggression. Okay. And, and that's why I brought up the estoppel principle, right? The criminal who aggresses is unable to argue they ought not be aggressed upon until they apologize and pay the damages yeah. and, and retribution for what it is that they've done. Hmm. So it's like, there's nothing stopping me when Robin, when Robin grabs the stick first, says, I'm going to use this stick and starts turning it into a fishing pole. And then Crusoe comes over and says, no, we need a raft. We need to get off this island. You know, I'm going to take your fishing pole because it's mine, because mine is better. Right. It is the state. It is the consequentialists. It is the what I like to call conservatives often that are uh, I like to call them family values consequentialists, right? They, they, they'll, they'll accept wrongs that are even explicitly wrong in the Bible. Thou shalt not steal. But it's OK because the ends justify the means. I'm like, oh, I don't know where you're getting that. But all right, whatever. Um, you know, like the, it is those individuals, the aggressor that that wants to, to take the, st the stick. Right. Crusoe is completely justified. Right. In beating robin with said stick because it's his stick right he has established a historical link to the stick he has said this stick is mine he's begun working on transforming the stick into a useful tool so that he can eat right he has all of these things and it is robin that attempts to make a slave of crusoe by trying to steal his property steal his rights he is the second user hmm. right and so he's a stop from arguing that that he not be punished for doing so and that he not be stopped. He's is stopped. The, the peaceful Namby. Yeah. Well, he is a stop, right? The peaceful Namby Pamsy libertarianism stuff. These are baby libertarians okay. that don't understand what they're talking about. And they, 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 they make conservatives run away from an ideology that really they should deeply appreciate. Wow. So, so for you, what, what's your trajectory going forward? Um, I, you run a, Twitch stream, like what, what do you want to cause or who do you want to whisper into the ear of? Like, what is your, what's the message that I could encapsulate in this show and then like seed forth like a, like a bursting mm. pustule of pollen or something like that? Like what, what is the core and in, in your hope and, and, and kind of like reforming or changing the direction or opening some minds? I mean, there's so, there, there's so much that I don't really know the the right answer you know I, w I would say that my goal in life my goal in doing this right yeah. is to promulgate the philosophy of libertarians to find those few people who really get it so that we can come up with the solutions you know to to, to steer this ship that is so off course mm -hmm. so off course from from the 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 enlightenment started something amazing in, in Western history. And we have, and, and, and we are, we are, we as a society are refusing to stand on the shoulders of giants. 
We're refusing to do so. We no, are we're pissing on the shoulders, shoulders of giants now. Like we're, we're actively, if you look at all the DEI stuff, like post-liberalism, post-modernism. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly what we're doing. And they were, they were, they were, they were coming close with the scientific method and with all of these things at discovering something greater. And, and I think it's, you know, and there's a tradition that's, that, that we're pissing on even farther back than that, right? We're pissing on Thomas Aquinas, right? What, you know, and, and the idea of, you know, that man can know both by, you know, faith, but can also know by reason and logic. You know, we're, we're pissing on Aristotle, right? And Aristotelian logic um, with, with these cockamamie philosophies that make no sense and don't match reality whatsoever. Like, you know, this, this Hegelian dialectics and this Marxism, but also the postmodernism that Habermas already defeated, right? It, it's defeated. And yet it's still here. Mm. And, and we're seeing it, we're seeing it run amok in our society and destroying things. And I don't know how to fix that. Right. Like I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have so much hubris as to think that one fat loser, you know, sitting with a green and screen tall. behind him on a twit. You know, I am tall. I am tall, but like sitting on rumble right now, yeah. you know, it's going to fix everything, but I'm, I'm hoping this message resonates with some people yeah. and changes some yeah. minds yeah. because like, ultimately we need to recognize that, Ultimately, we need to recognize, you know, you don't need to know all this high brain stuff, right? But it, it really is simple. It really is. You can't steal from people. And when you try and give power to authority on your behalf to force change, it always backfires. Always. It is just a general rule. You know, when I talk to lefties, right, because I, I, you know, being on Twitch especially, um, you know, I've debated, but also just had conversations with a lot of communists and socialists and things like that. One of the things I asked about, and this is getting into the trans, right? Um, as I say, imagine for a moment, Bernie Sanders is running for president and a giant blue wave comes and you voted for Bernie Sanders to create Medicare for all and ban private insurance. Doesn't that sound awesome? And they were like, yes, I love that. It's like, you got what you wanted. Now, imagine for just a moment that four years later, over a process of two elections, the Republicans sweep and they control all of those institutions. It's like, do you think the Republicans will then get rid of government control over all of healthcare, Or do you think it's more likely that the Republicans might just say we're banning hormone replacement therapy for everyone, period? My question to you is, why are you transphobic and why is it that you voted to get rid of trans rights and every time it breaks them or they just pivot right? mm. because mm. you have to take responsibility for giving the government power no matter the purpose for the power that you gave them. yeah 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 we don't want a king i don't know why but that's a good explanation just like israel god was right <laughs> <laughs> well i'm not I, like i said before i'm not a i'm not a I'm not a Christian myself, but um, you, you're very well read. You, I can tell. So, well, I, so I went to, I went to Liberty university for grad school as an atheist, which was an experience. Okay. Um, when I was taking counseling, there. um, which is hilarious because Liberty university as an atheist was more welcoming to my ideas than going to undergrad at a liberal arts institution yeah. in psychology and sociology. Like those places were hell holes. Um, but, you know, like Liberty was was super willing to have conversations. It was great. But 
between that and a lot of religious study and growing up Catholic, you know, I, I learned a fair amount. And I have, I have a certain level of respect for Christianity, but wow. nothing will make you an atheist quicker than growing up Catholic. Yeah, I like Catholicism, but only because I didn't grow up in it, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so how can people follow you, find you? You're, you're, you're twitching all over the internet, so you're on Twitter. Oh, you're on Twitch. There's two places that have remained. There's there's two places that have remained consistent, right? You can follow me on YouTube, which is where I kind of upload segments and things like that. I occasionally do uh, videos there. Fabian Liberty, pretty easy. Um, Liberty underscore Fabian on Twitter as well. I'm, I'm there, but um, it looks like we're we're we may be switching over to Rumble um, for our live streaming um, mm. situation. Um, so if you want to catch us live, um, usually Mondays, yeah. Wednesdays, Thursdays, and, and other times. You got to follow us at Fabian Liberty on Rumble. You know, when content creators use the third person pronoun, you never know if they're being hubristic or they have a team behind them. And I'm, I, I don't want to pry into I have what. I co-host. Oh. I have, a co- I have a co-host, but I'm the talker more so. I'm the extroverted theory person. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's hilarious. And he actually introduced me to. Uh, anarcho-capitalism like he's the one that converted me and i'm the one that does all the debating and talking so we're good friends um but he does any he, and he, he does a lot of the editing and producing and moderation and helps me out tons and is there for the dark humor as well so when i say when like when i when i use the brand it's because there actually is to it yeah yeah and going forward do you do, you do planning things or you just you're just kind of interacting and argumentation and going forward do you have like a project or something for people to look forward to that you're working on this year maybe uh, summer so so i you know oh god i'm doing so many things like as a streamer it's it's a different situation because yeah. you spend a lot more time on screen and you spend a lot more time prepping for on stream and so the amount of time off screen is, is, is somewhat limited. Um, but I mean, I'm, you know, I'm currently, I'm working on a video, um, to, to prove via argumentation ethics, but starting with existence exists versus the primacy of consciousness and then moving into Aristotelian logic, um, all the way through to approve that private property rights are indeed an objective fact. And anyone that says, um, that, um, aggression is allowed is, um, is um not um is is it makes talking I- illogical nonsense okay. anyone that says taxes are okay is illogical okay I've so, so we'll, we'll, hold on so you're making a video that goes from exist proving that existence exists to taxation is theft pretty much yeah wow I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a daunting task i've got a lot of the script <laughs> i like it I love need. it it's ambitious i love it what I've done, what I've done primarily that I think is probably distinct about me is um, using my counseling education and understanding and things like that, along with um, my understanding of the philosophy of critical theory and queer theory and gender theory in trying to talk about the specific problem of cluster B personality disorders as it pertains to the transgender uh, um, and transgender. Can we do a second episode or, or is that like, the, like another person is a whole other personality, internet personality? Cause I'd like to, no, 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 that's, that's me. Okay. I, I, I talk about, I, I mean, I, I interviewed Chloe Cole and, okay. um, you know, and I talked yeah. with Richie and yeah. I talked with Blair White and, and a bunch of other people yeah. about it, but, well, but yeah, I mean, I, okay. it's, it's a, I, like I said, remember there's a triangle, there's philosophy and then there's culture war and then there's entertainment, yeah. right? That's the culture war piece. Okay. Um, What's your entertainment? Yeah, Do you have little, little about cartoons that. about uh, diaper changing? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. 
no, no, no. I'd love to. I'd love to talk to you about that. Also, um, DMing me and remind me. There's someone who has um, that I think you would love to talk to that has a great story. And I know you've done a lot of conversations with D trans people. Um, yeah. Jade Rance on Twitter, or you could just reach out to her. Jade Rance on Twitter. Okay. Um, I think she told her story with me for the first time, but um, she has a. God, you know, and in a way that people that only people that have interviewed a lot of D trans people know how like each story kind of has a similar path but also is so tragic and unexpected yeah. in different ways. And there's there's a lot to glean from it. Yeah. It's a and it's also it's also kind of almost impossible to pick apart because they're each unique. And I don't know. I, I think you would have a great conversation. And I think she would like talking with you because I don't know. Just DM me and remind me, or DM her okay, at Jade okay. Rance on Twitter. Like, reach out to her. She's good, people. You have a name on the Zoom. Are you allowed to? Am I allowed to say it? To say to end the episode, or do you just want to be Fabian Liberty? I mean, I mean, I'm Scott from Fabian Liberty. Okay. Um, if you've donated to me on PayPal before, then you know that that's my name. I don't okay. necessarily put it out yeah. there, but it's such a common name that yeah, uh, okay, it's like whatever. Is it Mr. Scott or just I Scott? Mean to do it, okay. it's kind of there. there it's, I just go by Scott. Well, Scott, thank you. Uh, I didn't very, mean to do it. <laughs> that's okay. Things happen. It's the internet. You know, you, you just get locked into things. <laughs> Email addresses. Scott, thank you very much for joining me. You kind of you hurt my brain in a really good way. You know, like that Brian Adams song. It. You know, like hurt so good. So, thank you very much for for your time. And I'm going to have you back on um, solo to talk about counseling stuff because I really I think that's a very important vector. Real quick before we go further, right? I didn't do my internship, right? So I I do not have a degree okay. as a master's degree in counseling, right? Okay. I have like forty three, forty two hours, and I've looked at it a lot. I just want to be very clear before that I'm not accidentally like putting credentials. I don't have. Okay, cool. Okay. All right. Sorry. I just want to make it. Okay. Yeah. 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 No legal advice either. Yeah. No legal advice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. But I would love to talk with you about that. It's a bit of a passion project of mine and I've done some videos about it, but, but yeah, it's definitely something that no one is talking about. It is a serious element. Yeah. No, absolutely. What I would, just a a teaser, a, a teaser, you know, people need to look up, what is a growing understanding of cluster B disorders, which is vulnerable covert person uh, personality disorder. It is a sub form of narcissistic personality disorder that a lot of people do not know about. And if you read about that and then you look at trans rights activist tweet, you'll go, holy shit. These are the same thing. Ooh, it's a mental disorder. You're not allowed to say that. So I'm not going to say that. You're not allowed to say that. I'm on Rumble. Like, you need to get your book <laughs> for the <laughs> okay. recording. Like, I'm on Rumble. I can say whatever the hell I want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, for now. I'd love to talk with you again about that. That'd be great. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's sign off now. Uh, and thank you very much. I'm going to end my end of the recording. Let me know if you're still streaming on your end. While I, I, I am. Okay. I am. Okay. Well, I'm going to stop. But